You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down the threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. What we saw since the beginning of uh, 2022 was... uh, a lot of new campaigns where uh, the tactics, techniques, and procedures that were being leveraged uh, changed significantly. That's Deepan Desai. He's global CISO and head of security research and operations at Zscaler. The research we're discussing today is titled Return of the Evil Num APT with updated TTPs and new targets. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. Change in the targets was one of the things. Change in the way the payloads were being delivered was another. And the overall success in terms of uh, staying undetected, like some of the IOCs that were involved, uh, was also interesting in, in, in these campaigns. And is this that in general, I mean, point to a, a well-resourced, you know, well-funded, uh, well-run organization? That that is uh, yes, usually the case of uh, some of these well-funded, well-run APT groups uh, that we observe. It's just uh, when we see a significant 
change in uh, in some of the techniques that they've been using. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's definitely much more undertaking on their part to go through. And we'll, we'll talk about some of those techniques in this call. Well, let's dig into some of the details then. I mean, do, do we want to start off? Is it useful to to uh, have a little bit of history here of of where Evil Numb began, the types of things that they were known for before we get into some of the changes? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the key targets for Evil Numb APT Group have been primarily financial services uh, organizations. And they were targeting companies dealing with trading and compliance, primarily in the region of uh, UK and and overall Europe, uh, to be honest. So that's where we were seeing uh, a lot of these activity. What changed, um, um, and this is as of March of 2022, we observed... (laughs) the update in terms of the choice of targets. And um, one of the primary one that uh, really draw our attention was them starting to target an intergovernmental organization, which deals with uh, international migration services. And and the other interesting part was the timeline of attack. Um, and the nature of the target uh, chosen coincided with the Russia-Ukraine conflict as well. Who do we suppose is behind Evil Numb? Do we, do we have a good sense there? That's where uh, the attribution in terms of the um, the country behind it, uh, I, I would stay away from that for this group. Um, I mean, there are a couple regions, but yeah, this, this one will stay away from that. Well, let's dig into some of the other things that you're observing here. I mean, what, what are they up to these days that uh, caught your eye? Right, so I'll, I'll dive into the campaign that we um, uncovered and then... And, published our analysis. So number one, back in the day, they were using, um, and this is as early as last year, some of the campaigns that the team observed. We noticed them using uh, mostly Windows shortcut files, which is LNK files, sent inside a zip archive, uh, which are usually sent with through email attachments or, or getting a user to click on the link to download them. In the most recent one, and I'm talking about the uh, March one, they started uh, leveraging macro documents um, and and using template injection technique, which is used by many other groups as well. But what was unique over here was they were also making use of uh, something that we call VBA code stomping technique. And I'll I'll explain it in, in easier terms what that means. But so it's a macro document using template injection, leveraging VBA stomping technique. The outcome of this is it is able to bypass a lot of static analysis tools as well as uh, also deters, uh, you know, reverse engineering uh, from from the security analysts. What the VBA code stomping uh, technique does is it essentially, uh, you know, destroys the original source code and only a compiled version of the VBA macro code is stored inside the document. So it's also known as P code, right? And then mm. that's what uh, causes the uh, static tools at times to not detect this. So it makes it more challenging to reverse engineer. Uh, yes, and that as well. So detecting it using those static uh, analysis tools uh, by various security engines, it, that's, that becomes challenging and also to analyze by the researchers using automation as well as even manually. Uh, you know, you need to have a few extra steps before you figure out what's going on. Hmm. Now, so that's a stage one. 
starts with that. Then it delivers a heavily obfuscated JavaScript, which is uh, further used to download and decrypt um, and the encrypted binary on the endpoint. Right? So that's another way in which uh, they are keeping that final payload uh, shielded from uh, getting detected. And here as well, we saw several new techniques, um, the way the code is obfuscated, right? I mean, you will see many other groups leveraging obfuscated JavaScripts as well. But uh, there are a few things that we have uh, documented in our in our analysis. Uh, one, one of the ones that I would call out is them uh, making use of this shuffling technique. In easier terms, Think of um, an obfuscated uh, JavaScript code where there are there's like a array of strings, and those strings are basically getting replaced by the actual code on on one uh, when the code becomes deobfuscated. And mm-hmm. there are a lot of automated tools that are able to do this process of deobfuscation automatically. With this shuffling technique, there is an added layer of obfuscation that happens uh, before you're able to replace those strings or variables uh, with the actual piece of code. So that also breaks a lot of the automation and uh, mm-hmm. makes it difficult for the static tools to detect. So that's the second uh, stage uh, payload where this uh, obfuscated JavaScript is involved. Uh, and that is responsible for, as I said, decrypting the binary payload. And at the binary payload stage, <laughs> uh, they're again using a technique called heaven's gate technique. Um, and this is, this is not a new technique. It has been used by other groups as well. It's basically a method for running, you know, 64 bit code in a, in a 32 bit process. Right. And again, the goal over here is to evade some of the security scanners uh, when they're trying to deliver this uh, malicious payload. Is it a case with the obfuscation as you're, as you're describing here? Is this a a bit of a, a cat and mouse thing where you'll see innovation from the APT group and then eventually will the tools used to analyze it catch up to that? Absolutely, yes. I mean, these are uh, there are new techniques that we observe being used by them. And uh, um, we always talk about how these APT groups have access to many of the tools that, uh, you know, us uh, as security researchers have access to as well, like things like VirusTotal or, or, or their own version of VirusTotal, for instance, where they will test out uh, security scanners, they will test out even the publicly exposed sandboxes and figure out ways to get around them. And then once those payloads are used in uh, some of these attacks, uh, security folks discover them. Uh, they will try to make sure that the engines are updated uh, to handle that uh, newer technique as well. So it is uh, it is cat and mouse game. Now, the amount of uh, coverage that you are able to achieve with those updates, right? You shouldn't just add coverage for what you just observed, but also take into account future variations, right? They did this, they could do similar things on 10 other areas. That will be the difference between the future campaigns being successful, as successful as the one which we just talked about. Is it fair to say that uh, for folks like yourself who are looking into this sort of thing, that, you know, that's part of the fun is uh, is figuring out, you know, what's going on here and trying to, to see where they're going next? 
Absolutely. I mean, that's why most security folks uh, will say there's never a dull day. You're always learning <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> newer stuff, right? There, there, There's a constant evolution happening on both sides of the table. Well, let's talk about persistence. How do they maintain that? Yeah, so in this case, um, uh, and that was another part uh, where they were trying to evade detection, where they were taking, uh, they were making use of um, uh, sort of well-known process names from Windows OS uh, when the binary is getting dropped. So it's basically a spoof legitimate Windows uh, as well as some of the third-party binary names that were being uh, leveraged for dropping the and to achieve persistence, uh, they will uh, basically create a scheduled task uh, that will ensure that the payload executes um, every time the Windows uh, system starts. Is there an effort to hide that as well, the scheduled task to, to evade detection? I mean, it, that, that's where the, the names that they're choosing, as well as the directory structure, if you notice, they're putting the binary inside Microsoft font-related uh, folders. I see. And and then the name chosen for the scheduled task is also update model task. So it's fairly generic, leveraging Microsoft font uh, directory structure. So yes, uh, that, that basically helps them hide the persistent command. I see. No, it makes total sense. Well, let's move on to the next stage then. I mean, where are they actually dropping on the system? Yeah, so this is where once once the binary is dropped uh, in that fonts folder, that's uh, where it will be executed from. And uh, even on the uh, execution stage, I, I mentioned about Heaven's Gate technique. And that's how uh, the actual malicious payload, uh, the backdoor payload that will be responsible for CNC activity, will get decrypted in the memory. This uh, binary will then... Uh, choose the CNC domain for performing the command and control activity, right? receiving commands, uh, responding back with information that the threat actor is in, interested in. Here as well, when we looked at the domains that were involved, many of them were registered to match the target organization. Right? So some of them were typo squatted, uh, some of them were uh, matching uh, well-known services. Uh, some of them were even matching the themes um, that were going on. So if you look at it, uh, there's a domain called covedd.org, right? So COVID-related uh, domain that was azuredcloud.com, another type of squatted domain, right? Azure Cloud is what is being used. Um, there's a misspelled one for Norton Analytics, uh, where the N is missing as part of the analytics. So many of these domains, they, they managed to keep uh, uh, undetected for, for months, actually. And then so ultimately, what are they after here? So this is uh, definitely a financially motivated group. They're after your <laughs> dollars, right? They will steal information. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and. and uh, you know, we've seen in the past uh, them using crypto theme, uh, finance themes. Their main motive is to to gain dollars. So crypto, finance, and immigration is what we have uh, seen in the past two years being leveraged as themes by this group. And so what are your recommendations then for organizations to best protect themselves? Yeah, so in this case... Um, uh, 
Again, I, I always go back to the zero trust uh, fundamental pillars, uh, right? Uh, especially in this day and age where you have this hybrid remote workforce, right? Folks coming into the office, folks still working remote or doing both. Uh, you need to ensure you have uh, consistent security being applied to all your endpoints, um, right? When they're egressing to the internet. So the four pillars that I always call out is prevent compromise. Uh, that's where you ensure consistent security policies are applied no matter where your endpoints are. Prevent lateral movement. The damage is fairly limited when they manage to hit one of your endpoint. But the as soon as that blast radius increases from one endpoint to your entire network, that's when it translates into an organization-wide breach, right? And and in this case, they, they will have access to much broader data set. So have controls in place like user-to-app, app-to-app micro-segmentation to prevent that lateral movement. Prevent data exfiltration where you're actually inspecting everything that leaves your endpoints. Very important to uh, block this type of exfiltration attempts. And then finally... Uh, you know, you need to reduce your external attack surface. Anything that is exposed to the internet uh, is what uh, many of these threat actors go after, the easy entry points into your environment. Now, one specific engine, um, which I would like to say is a must-have for most enterprises, that's what most security peers, leaders that I talk to believe as well. Uh, it's having the ability to perform inline cloud sandboxing, right? As I described, payloads are new, the techniques that they were using brand new. So unless you detonate that payload and observe the behavior, right? And block it at the time the attack is happening, uh, you know, um, that specific engine plays a very important role in achieving that. You know, it also strikes me that this could be a good case for uh, the, the use of of threat intelligence, you know, if you're have someone on the lookout for things like the typo squatting, as you were saying, you know, registering domains that are similar to things that are of interest to your organization, that could have value as well. Absolutely, yeah. Keeping an eye on uh, newly registered domains, um, as you mentioned, typo squatted domain detection, and then ultimately, when you discover these kind of things, uh, sharing is caring and. <laughs> Having all the security vendors, all the security community, making them aware of uh, these new TTPs. So we all as a group come up with uh, newer countermeasures, uh, whether it's uh, adding coverage for the IOCs observed or whether it's uh, adding coverage for the overall techniques uh, that were seen so that uh, even if the IOCs change, uh, we're still able to block these type of attacks. Our thanks to Deepin Desai from Zscaler for joining us. The research is titled Return of the Evil Num ATP with updated TTPs and new targets. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. 
Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Rachel Gelfin, Liz Irvin, Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. Hey, listeners. We're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey and share your feedback now.